Rush is back. Our number two, Teddy Lehman here, hanging out with Pierce. Tyler's on vacation. Uh, we're getting close, man. We are, what, a week and a day out from the spring game. So it's going to be on us uh, before we know it. Not going to be the final product, folks. So what you see out there um, is not going to be the end result. Still tons of time to improve, but uh, hopefully we see some good stuff. Um, you know, I continue to see the text coming in of what you want to see out there. 651 uh, from the 713. Need to see a wide receiver step up. Who's going to be the go-to dude? Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in that. I, I like what I've seen from – Andrew Anthony, absolute blazer. Um, whenever I was out there Wednesday, they had a scrimmage Wednesday, and Jalil Farouk made a bunch of really nice plays. I was assuming that Farouk yeah. would end up being wide receiver one after his usage uh, in last year's scheme. Right. Um, Shark says, game clock management. Got to be better at that this year, I agree. Um, you know, there's – there's a lot of stuff last year that just did not look good. Um, Zane wants to see faster snack concessions. I think that's actually going to happen. That's funny. But I think last year I, they shouldn't have been surprised with the numbers that showed up. But massively understaffed. They did not treat it like a typical game day whenever you've got 70,000 people showing up. Like the traffic wasn't blocked off and I think there was all kinds of issues and you got to remember like last last year I think we were still under a lot of the COVID stuff so it was hard to find staffing for some of those some of those spots like there was a lot of issues last year hopefully they're going to be way more prepared this year which by the way 230 kick Kyler Murray's uh, situation the unveiling I think is at 1130 so get out there early, hang out, see the festivities. Should be a lot of fun. Um, I got a question for you. Yeah. What's your uh, big uh, big thing you're watching from the spring game? What are you looking for? Hmm. I am going to be watching the offensive line. I think that like, we can talk about who's going to be the go-to wide receiver like what do the running backs look like? And even like what type of year is Dylan Gabriel gonna have? And I don't think you can I don't think you can assess any of those things fairly without knowing what you have in the offensive line. Uh a really good offensive line will make average players look better than what they are. A bad offensive line will make really good players look average. So uh I'd like to see our offensive line really make some big strides, specifically being way more physical on the interior. Uh, guard, center, guard. The three interior guys, we need to transition from being position-blocking guys to road graders. And I think we have the chance of that. Savion Bird has an opportunity to take that left guard spot and run with it. Um you know, if he does, I think that's going to help Andrew Rame at center become uh, a more physical guy. I think you got some. I think you got some options at right guard now. Kane Green, which add him to the list of of guys that you need to watch. Early arrival, big tackle. 
He's been playing left tackle. Now, Walter Rouse is your penciled-in starter. He's going to be the guy that you expect to start in the fall, played a ton of football, started at Stanford for multiple years. Um, He should be the starting left tackle. But Caden Green has gotten some time there. Um, you know, throughout the spring, he's done a really good job. He's athletic. He's got good size. Uh, you know, just needs to mature some physically and, and get a little bit better understanding of the offense. But uh, from from what I've seen of him, looks pretty impressive. And if he continues to to improve, I don't think it's out of the question that he may slide into guard whenever Beanbo tries to to find the best five that he can put out there on the field. So, um. That's gonna that's gonna be a guy to to watch out there as well. Uh, from the four hundred five, wants to see better announcing from the radio broadcast. It's happening. Toby is calling television, and Chad McKee is doing the play by play for the radio. So expect it to be much better than it typically is. You know, speaking of play by play on the radio, I am enrolling in the Toby Rowland School of Play by Play this next semester. Yeah, looking forward to it. That's that's pretty cool. I you know I'm curious to see. Um, to be able to talk to you firsthand to see how his teaching chops are. I'm not going to go easy on him either. Right. You know, I'm I'm going to be real honest on the air about it. Nor should you. Uh, let's see. From the nine one eight. Let's see. DG hit his receivers with the long ball more often, at least three or four times a game, and be productive with the yardage he gets. Yeah, that wasn't a good good um a good enough weapon for us last year. I feel like. There were times when it was Dylan Gabriel's fault. I feel like there was plenty of times when it was wide receiver's fault. We just did not ever link up like we should have. Let's hope that that's answered. Um, Because I actually think that Dylan Gabriel throws a good deep ball. Um, It needs to be a bigger part of our offense. And, you know, back to the offensive line, the better the offensive line does and the better our running game is, the more uh, opportunities we should get. Uh, we'd love to see the return game in special teams be a real weapon this year. When's the last time we ran a punt or kickoff back for a touchdown? It's been a long time. That's from Camo Sooner. Yeah. I don't know. Let's see. Drake Stoops will be a guy that they'll have returning punts. Uh, I'm sure Gavin Freeman will be a guy that they have back returning punts. Um, who else am I missing? Did Farouk return punts last year? That's what year? I'm trying to think. Of. I think he would make sense to be there. I'm not sure. If I think he might have replaced Mims when Mims kind of stopped doing it towards okay. the end. And kickoff returns, we'll see what happens there. Um, I think you may see, may see Billy Bowman back there. Returning kickoffs, you may see some of the running backs, but yeah, we made we we need to make that a weapon for us. Um, the punt stuff is difficult because of the rules. I think the rules suck for what they allow in college football. It's ridiculous, but it's hard to make punts work. You got a lot of the guys that kick the short, um, like the low roller, like the it's got the top spin on it. And, you know, the guys that will hold the ball before they punt it, take it a couple extra steps, let the coverage unit get downfield. And in college, everyone can release on the snap downfield. In the NFL, you've got to wait till the ball's punted, except for the end guys on the line of scrimmage. 
uh, I wish college would adopt those rules. So that's what I was going to ask you. Is that the rule that you, yeah. you don't like about college? Yeah, it sucks. It's stupid. That's why everyone lines up in that ridiculous pump formation where they spread everyone out and they just snap it and everyone releases downfield. And obviously, whenever that's the case, you just put the wall back there to protect, which, you know, they they regulate what you can do. You can't go over the top of that wall and all kinds of stuff. So everyone gets way downfield before the, you know, the punter's able to receive it. So it's stupid. But, you know, as we continue to bubble wrap society, they're they're looking for ways to get special teams out of the game. So we'll see. Uh, who will make this is from Patrick? Who will make the defensive calls? I think Roof will make the calls with, I'm sure, veto power from Brent Venables. That's what I assumed would have been the case. But I'm not sure. Maybe Venables is going to make it. Not sure. Then what would Roof be doing? Um. He'll be up in the top in the box, and he'll be coaching the backers. I think he'll be in the box, but he'll be coaching the backers. And you know, it's not a fair. It's not a fair. So the spring game is different, but in a regular game, right, whoever's calling the plays, that's not. You can still be the defensive coordinator and not call the plays. Really, what you're doing when you coordinate the defense is throughout the game plan week, how are we going to defend this team? Like, What are our best calls? What are the adjustments we need to make to our coverages, to our front, um, to maybe how we position ourselves against a different look, or what's the most efficient way to adjust to some of the shifts and motions that we'll see from them? I, most of your defensive coordinating comes before the actual play calling comes. So we always equate defensive coordinator to who's calling the plays and cuz usually it's the same guy, I get that, but you know there's kind of there's there's different jobs there. There's, you can you could be the defensive coordinator and be a big a heavy voice in you know, what the ready lo- ready list looks like for that week and, and not necessarily be the guy that calls the plays. But to answer the question, it's a good question. I don't know. Maybe Roof ca- starts off calling it before Venables takes the reins. Maybe by force, maybe by uh, handoff. I don't know. Um, from the 918, on the Bowman tackle, he had to go around the ref and was off balance. Yeah, well, it's a real game scenario. That's where that official is in in a regular game. Now, a lot of times, since offenses cheat now and officials don't call them on it whenever they run the RPOs and it's the merging of a run play and a pass play, right? Uh, RPO, run pass option, the offensive line, Everyone in the box is blocking run. They think it's a run. The wide receivers are running a pass. They think it's a pass. The quarterback is reading typically. I mean, it's different on the call, but typically it's the overhang player. 
to see how he reacts to the run action. If he steps up and is aggressive playing the run, the quarterback pulls it out and hits the passing play in behind him. Meanwhile, offensive line is blocking run and downfield past the line of scrimmage. Clearly illegal. It's ridiculous. They allow it. So stupid. Uh, They think that football fans are too dumb to enjoy a lower-scoring game, so they just uh, take a deuce on the rules that have always been uh, used. But here we are. Um, So that official, whenever it's a running play, is supposed to step back to get out of the way. When it's a passing play, he's supposed to step up. And because of... What they allow now, he's often in purgatory, so to speak, or just constantly in the way. So, there's that. But, no, you're right. Um, He did get bumped off by the official. Uh, JR from Broken Arrow here would like to see the offense change pace, like some drives go slow and others lightning fast. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think – the best way to use speed to your advantage is to also add um, not necessarily deception, but a surprise, right? For instance, if you're a pitcher, you're a baseball guy, and you've got a fastball that's in the upper 90s, and that's all you got. It doesn't take very long for hitters to catch up to it, right? The change of speed in baseball is almost the hardest part. It's the movement. I mean, that's why, like, the Astros, yeah. when they had the old you know, buzzer thing, that's why it was so easy for them to hit is they knew what was happening. So if you were going right. fast each time, I mean, you can kind of prepare for that. So Change yeah, I, of speed is, is critical. So yeah. I, if, if, you can, if you can be maybe a little bit more strategic as to when you deploy that, think you can have some better success uh sometimes it's not across the board if you're going fast and a defense is in total chaos and you're just ripping them well then yeah keep going fast you know i got no problem with that uh but you know i it does help your defense to slow things down possess the football chew up the clock chew up the chains but again that goes back to having a better offensive line and being able to run the football better last year because of wide receivers not being able to separate and not being able to push people off the football with the offensive line we were left with going fast was one of our only um only weapons that we could deploy so got to get better everywhere all right quick time out keep the text coming good stuff 651-3439 hour number two rolls on next Rush is back. Our number two rolls on. Keep hitting the text line. Good stuff from you guys. 651-3439. All right. I want to see a DB turn and find the ball, then make a play on the ball in the air. Yeah, that was a problem last year. I don't know. I got, it happened. It happened a lot where we had guys not turn, find the football, be in good position relative to the receiver, but get called for the pass interference. Um, that's tough. It's a it's a tough play to make, but you have to fight the the instinct is to is to stay where you are, keep your eyes where you are. As soon as you take your eyes off the receiver, 
it feels like you've you've totally lost touch with the play. It's not easy, but it's how you have to learn it. Get yourself in good position, uh, be in phase with the receiver, kind of know where you're at on the field and know the timing of when to turn and find the football. Uh, and then, you know, just kind of become the receiver at that point. It's not easy because it, it's – whenever you're in that position – Whenever you turn to find the football, you're almost you you are the the. It's hard to explain, but whenever you're defending a pass, like the pass breakup is what you want, right? Defend the pass. You can't always get your hand on it. So the next thing that you need to do is if you can't get your hand on the pass, what do you need to do? You need to secure the tackle, right? Well, when you're in that position and you turn to play the football, you're basically all in on one option of defending only the pass and not being able to play the tackle. So it's it's not as easy as you think. You just have to know where you're at on the field and like if you knew you're about to be defending a fade route before the snap, then it would be able you'd be able to take yourself out of the, you know, the mindset of also being able to secure the the tackle and just go straight to defending the ball. But you don't know that until the full transition of the play. Could be a comeback route where they're selling you on the fade and then they're gonna come back hard. I it's 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 very difficult, but you have to know that okay, we're in we're in fade territory. Um, I'm in phase. I'm gonna have to turn and find the football. Like it's just a risk that I have to I have to give up the for the most part the ability to make a tackle should um, should the play be uh, be completed. So it's tough, but yeah, we've got to get better at that. Uh, I'm so tired. This is from the 405. So tired of watching our teams not be able to wrap up and tackle for the last decade. How many times did we have a guy dead in the backfield and it turns into a huge game? It's a lot. And not to make excuses, but this is not an Oklahoma problem. It is a college football at large problem. Uh, Tackling has gone down. A lot of reasons for that. Reason number one, offenses have gotten way better at utilizing space um gaming the rules using tempo using illegal plays RPOs where linemen are downfield um stressing certain players overhang players making it difficult like that's that's number 1 number 2 we we don't I say we as a sport not just Oklahoma don't tackle as much not nearly as physical. Uh, way more has been put on um, less exposure for the players as, as far as uh, full contact. Uh, there, in my opinion, is a direct link between teaching the horrendous hawk tackle or rugby tackle with guys missing tackles. Ever since... That crap started to creep in is whenever you've seen players running wild all over the football field. Everyone that's texting right now that played Little League or 
high school football, you were taught that whenever you went to tackle someone, you got your head across, right? Got your head across the ball carrier. Now, a lot of places teach head behind, which is what? That is an arm tackle, which is not what you want. I have a question for you. Yeah. With the implementation of the targeting rule from the defensive side, right? why is there no offensive targeting where the running back can just put his head down and run as hard as he can at a linebacker, but the linebacker has to sit back for it? Uh, thank you for that. I talk about this a lot. It is infuriating to watch. Whenever what are you supposed to do? The ru- it is in the rules. They are not supposed to be able to do that. And we Can were, we see it get called? We were told whenever they implemented this rule that it would be called. I have never seen it called. I don't think I have. And almost every running back does it nonstop. Yeah, especially those power backs. I mean, I remember back um, when OU was playing Alabama in the playoffs, Josh mm-hmm. Jacobs ran over someone. I forget who it was on OU. And he just, I mean, it was the top of his helmet was in that dude's gut. I mean, it was just, it was the ah. most obvious targeting you could have on the offensive side. I'm trying to remember who it was. He hurt his hamstring on the play. And yeah. And he was hurt for a long time. But, yeah, it it's supposed to be called. Why don't they call it? Because they don't want top offensive players being tossed out of the game. Why? Because they want points. I'm just, I'm tired of... Like, the new changes in sports that are trying to cater to the fun. As, you know oh, what I mean? Oh, well, hang on a second here. I sense a traditional baseball guy That's that doesn't like the clock. <laughs> I, no, the clock isn't as bad, but there are certain rules they've that they've put in play. Banning the shift. They're giving you a free base. Yeah. It, it'd, be like, it'd be like saying the defense, the defense can't, you know, have an extra defensive back on a play. That's right. just That's just they're making it easier to do a different thing. They're just changing the rules, and I, I just it's across multiple different sports. I like seeing a good defensive and offensive game. I don't like watching these. Like, it's fun to watch these, you know, barn burners where people are just going 40, 50 points, but it's not, it's not good defense at that point. You know yeah. what I mean? They're setting the defense up for failure now. I wish they could find a mid- – we always talk about, we talked about it in the first hour, that middle ground of giving some power back to the defense. Yeah. I agree, but nobody else cares. And, you know, a lot of the problem is the fans. Yeah. If if you have a lower-scoring game, well, guess what? The offenses are terrible, right? I mean, that's just that's how it is. I mean, you go back to the, the years of, of OU winning all these games, you know, when Lincoln Riley was here, and that was just Big 12 defenses are bad. But then you look at the Alabama-Tennessee game from last year, and that's just a good classic football. Mm-hmm. Where is the double standards of SEC defenses not being bad when they're letting up all these points, but Big 12 defenses being bad when they, they are? I'll get off my soapbox now. but Well, it's, it's a good point. And there's really – the SEC has, is not – Georgia plays great defense. There's some good defenses there. I, I guess I shouldn't – Shouldn't say that, but right there was a time when there was absolutely zero defense in the Big 12. It is totally flipped. That is not the case anymore. There's some really good defense being played yeah. in the Big 12 now. But, um, you know, unfortunately for you and I, 
the rules for the offense are going to continue to march on just as they have. Uh, is the defense starts to make up ground, they're going to make changes. Like the baseball thing, here's what pisses me off. And and this is aimed at traditionalists also like you. Okay. And this isn't your fault, but it's it's baseball. Because I understand that we want to have like this, we've got a rule structure, it's always been the same, like if we're comparing players and and statistics and home runs and strikeouts and all of these things, it needs to be uniform and it should always stay uniform. The problem with that is Major League Baseball has screwed with it forever by turning up and down the baseball. That's the biggest problem. And it should they should keep the baseball the same. I don't understand always. how it, they get by with changing it. I mean, like you can't change the football. The NFL just can't, you know, make it, you know, have more air in what year. Not obviously Tom Brady can, but you know what I mean. Like it doesn't make sense that baseball just be decides. Uniform, right? Yeah, I no, I completely agree. I've yeah. never understood. I think this year. They, you know, with those new rule changes, they want it to be an offensive-heavy sport now with baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, banning the shift, making the bases bigger, making it a little bit easier for stolen bases, that kind of thing. Also, you're seeing a lot more of the long ball right now. I think the the I think the balls are juiced again, and it's just, I mean, you're setting up pitchers for I mean, failure. One year they openly said that they changed the baseball for the playoffs. It was 2019, I believe. Yeah, that's what? insane. What you that's did? Insane. What? Yeah, without yeah. telling. Like, I, 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 you know what? I would be more fine with it. I wouldn't be okay with it. But it would make more sense if you at least just said it before, not after the fact. And, you know, the other problem, like the shift issue, the problem with that is arbitration. When a player goes to arbitration and is trying to get a bigger contract, they will say, well, you didn't hit enough home runs. Right. Like, if this is what you want, you have to look at the other players and you didn't hit enough home runs. So if you want to get into that salary range, you have to hit more home runs. So what happens? Guys totally avoid, you know, getting on base, taking the easy hit, you know, slapping it out to, to right field or to left field to Nobody, avoid the shift. Nobody's playing for the on-base percentage anymore. They're trying to hit home runs because arbitration aims everybody into that that um yep yeah, mindset just, yeah yep. mindset it's just i don't know yep. it's ridiculous You're right. All right quick time out more from the rush coming up hour number two rolls on keep the text line hot 651-3439 rush is back hour number two rolls on Teddy layman here hanging out today with pierce who's uh stepping in for tyler taking you into the weekend keep the text coming 651-3439 Let's see. Uh, I don't think we give Farouk enough credit. Dude was basically Debo last year. Um, plus, he has good size. Um, without a doubt, be the number one receiver. It's who's going to be the deep threat. Anthony Anderson and a lot of uh, guys, probably Stoops and Freeman. And I, I mean, there's some truth to that. I do think that Farouk is he's, – he's the most physical – I mean, he looks the strongest of the group. He's not small. He's over six foot tall. Um, I don't know what he's what his weight is listed at, but he looks like he's got some 
some good size to him. Uh, I I think that I think it's fair to say that he's probably most likely going to be your like your all around guy that you throw him the fade route, you you throw him the comeback routes on the sideline. Um, you know, you give him the ball at the line of scrimmage and let him go and do some things uh, with his legs, which he he did a really good job of last year. I think all of those things are are probably true. And, uh, you know, who's going to be the deep threat, right? I think I, I think there is some truth to that. You know, I guess it, it all depends on how – how big does the deep ball become? I, if Fandrell Anthony becomes your deep threat and he starts starts catching a touchdown a game on a deep ball and Farouk is leading in, you know, receptions, I, I, I would actually – I think it's better if it works out that way. If Farouk is a guy that you can target on everything and Anthony is – your go-to deep ball, and they share a lot of production between the two. I think that's whenever you have a way more dangerous receiving core. You know, I think one thing about Farouk that doesn't get talked about enough is him sticking with OU through all of this. He was, like, best friends with Caleb Williams. Mm -hmm. So him not leaving and following him was a surprise to me. And then staying after last year, I mean, the loyalty to OU is, I think, something that – is a little bit more evident with him and his circumstances. And I think Sooner fans should appreciate him a little bit more. Well, I think that's true. And I think we should probably – it's a change in mindset. But we should probably be more appreciative of most guys that don't hit the transfer portal. True. In this day and age, yeah. if – if someone doesn't leave, you know that people have been hitting them up. I it's. I mean, like for example, a guy that that I feel like nobody will get any attention to, Jason Lewelin, mm-hmm. that tight end from Alito. I mean, he's a guy who he really didn't get too many reps. He he played a I think he was a kickoff guy a little bit. He had some special team stuff, but that's kind of it. I am sure he got some calls trying to get him to leave. Mm-hmm. And so you see a lot like there's a lot of people that are backups or freshmen that don't leave and. It's you know you need those kind of guys to stay for your program to really develop in that way, and I think you make a good point about with this day and age of the transfer portal, the people who do stay really do want to stay. Yeah, no, that's that's right. I think that's a, a really good point. Uh, back to the text line, Sooner Soldier. I want to see if DG can go through his reads and not panic instead of not seeing wide open receivers. What's your what's your opinion on Dylan Gabriel in the season he had last year? He is maybe the most overhated quarterback in college football, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think statistically speaking, he was a top twenty quarterback. Um, I think the grand scheme of things, I think the OU the way OU finished on the year six and seven does not reflect his play at all. I mean, if you, I mean, if you look at the you know the scores, they're putting up winning numbers on the offensive side. You really there's not a lot of games where you can get mad at at the offense for you know for losing a game. I think the problem is they didn't. I, there was times whenever the defense played, and it was usually in the same game where 
offense would start good. Just like the consistency. Yeah, and the defense would, you know, would not be good early, but would really get, get a bunch of stops late, and the offense couldn't take advantage of it. It's just neither side could really get on the same page, it felt like. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of times where it, if both of them could click at the same time, then you could really see OU excel in that way. But I think Dylan Gabriel is still a great quarterback, and I think he's going to take leaps and bounds ahead. Just having that one gear under his belt already with a noose, you got to think that's his first year with Jeff Levy. So having another year of experience under this system – I've got, I, you know, I expect Dylan Gabriel to be a top fifteen quarterback this year. Yeah, um, you know, one thing I'll add quickly before we move on. I think, I think part of the thing with Dylan Gabriel is like some of the panic that the texter's talking about, Sooner Soldier. I think that comes from not trusting your offensive line. That goes and, back to what you made the point yeah. you made earlier too. And you know, some guys never trust their offensive line. Even when they're good, there's the the clock is always going off, and they're they're panicked to get rid of the football, rush something, and 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 you know end up making mistakes because of that. I don't think Dylan Gabriel's one of those guys, but I mean the point is is valid. Like he does need to be better. You know, there was he sometimes he took too many sacks and didn't get rid of the football. Other times. He got rid of the football in a panicked manner and made a uh, an errant throw or inaccurate throw because he was uh, he was a bit rushed. So he does need to find that sweet spot a little bit. But you know we do do need better play from the offensive line. Uh, is the spring spring game on TV? Yes. Is it going to be on ESPN Plus? Is that right? ESPN Plus. I, I think I'd be surprised if it wasn't at this point. Toby Rowland on the television call with Keith Jackson. That'll be cool. Um, Ty from Bartlesville. Don't forget about Peyton Bowen in the kick return game. He's a weapon there. Yeah, interesting. I don't. He returned punts for Den Geyer. Yeah. There was that playoff game they had, and he they got a three and out stop. He had like a couple pass breakups, and then he returned the following kick for a touchdown. So, yeah. yeah, definitely he could be back there. Yeah, could be back there. I'm not sure. And there's a couple of people that text that in. What about Bowen uh, as the punt returner? And uh, here's another one. Do you think Andrew Anthony could could be used at uh, a returner? I Maybe. think that depends on how uh, what his role in the offense is. Because I was I was among the the group of I didn't want Mims being back there. Just because when you got a wide receiver one, you know you need him to be that wide receiver one. So if he's got a really deep like you were talking about those deep routes, I don't know if they have him necessarily. If he's on the doing a deep route like that, I think they might put him back there. But if he takes more of a, you know, kind of wide receiver one is going to take a bulk of the receptions, I think they kind of leave him off of that. Yeah. No, there's there's a lot of that. Yeah, And it's hard because, in my opinion, the, the punt return game is less about who's your best returner and more about who's the most consistent guy that catches the ball every time. And I don't That's mean true. guys that drop it. I mean guys that let the ball hit the ground. There is so much lost yardage from guys that don't run up and make the catch on the ball, instead letting it hit the ground, let it run out. You're talking sometimes 10, 15, 20 yards. I mean, that's when you see it. ends up being lost yardage. That's like you, like those bouncing kind of roll situations, that's when you're getting pinned inside your own five. I mean, that's a great point. I didn't really think of it that way. You know, when I thought about punt returns, that's the most important thing. thing. You just, you cannot let it hit the ground. Yeah. 
if from the uh, oh, this is from Santa John. If Coach Venables is super involved with the defense on game day, who is concentrating on the overall game management? I'm not exactly sure how all of that is like what the exact protocol is there. I know Matt Wells is involved in that uh, to a certain degree, a former head coach at Tech. Um, now that Seth Luttrell is on staff as a as an offensive analyst, maybe he'll have a role in that. But I'm not exactly I'm not exactly sure how that goes down. But you know, it is. It is something that that does need attention. And it's a little bit different of a dynamic because most of your game management comes when the offense has the football. And if you're heavily involved in the defense, most of that work comes while the offense has the ball and you're making adjustments to what just went down in the previous series. So, like, you look back, Lincoln obviously ran the offense, but most of your game management stuff is whenever the offense has the ball. So, it's a little bit easier for head coaches that are offensively involved, but um, they do need to have a, a little bit better plan, plan for that because it was it did feel disjointed at times last year. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap up hour number two next. Rush is back. Hour number two, about to wrap this up. Um, still getting a lot of good stuff on the text line. We'd love to hear Teddy's opinion on how impactful it will be for our defense to have a loud linebacker who gets on to players for missing assignments and leads by example, finally. Well, it's it's less about getting on to guys for missing assignments. Here's the thing. We don't have anyone on defense right now that is right enough, correct enough to get onto anyone about anything. All right? We we've got mental mistakes on the back end at backer. Um, you know, the guys up front lined up in the wrong spot at times. Like, and I'm not suggesting that it's a clown show and nobody knows how to line up right now. We've come a long way. But in order to start doing that and having any kind of authority or being able to to say something that's taken seriously by your teammates, you can't ever be wrong yourself. Do you think that's something that's important for a position group is to have a kind of player like that? Yeah. And and that's one of the problems with the transfer portal is that you it's harder to like we don't have any linebackers right now that have been in this system for a long time, right? To be fair, the system's only a year old. Right. We we will get to a point where we've got, you know, your your backup Mike linebacker is a fifth-year senior that's been here the entire time. Now, he may not have the talent, but he knows the defense front and back, and you can trust that. We don't have anyone like that right now, so we're in a tough spot. But you you can't – I. It's not that you can't ever be wrong, but you have to be right so much that whenever you say things, it actually matters. Right. And we're we're just not to that point yet. Hopefully we can get there, right? Hopefully we can get there. And I'll tell you, that's one of the things I like about Kobe McKenzie is he's assertive. 
He's pushing defensive linemen around to get them lined up right. Uh, here's what I always say is if you aren't right, you better be loud enough to where everyone is wrong at the same time. And like you can get on the same page. Like if there's some type of split, no, we do what I say. I'll take the I'll take the fall for it, but we're all on the same page. Right, like, we'll get point. through it that way by being on the same page, right. and we'll make the adjustment when we get over to the sideline. That's on me. You just listen to what I say so that we're all on the same page. And I just I don't we're just we're not to that point yet. I think we'll get there though. Um, you know, and ultimately you want everyone to arrive there together to where you've got essentially a um, a, a a band director or someone out there that's kind of leading the charge, and everyone is just looking for that as to see like what do we need to do, where do we need to be, like not necessarily barking at people, like and getting on to every, like someone really good teams. Like you don't even have to do that. And I say like most good teams, like you say, who are the leaders? It's hard to identify them because everyone is doing what they're supposed right. to do. You yeah. know? All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We got the final hour next. Stay with us.